Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are back to talk about uh, the weekend's games here. Going to do Milwaukee-Houston, then uh, Indiana-Philly with TJ Warren put up a career-high 53 last night, and then all the important games over the last couple of days. Obviously, not going to get to every single one because there's like 15 of them, but uh, we'll finally wrap up the playoff picture. But before we even get started here, Danny and I, thanks to your help, everyone who watched on Friday, Orlando-Brooklyn, and everyone who commented something nice on social, we really appreciate everyone who did that and the nba is actually giving us three more league pass games uh, this week so those are previously scheduled sixers spurs 8 eastern on monday then on wednesday this will be an awesome one actually grizzlies jazz we got a lot of teams that i really actually like i'm i'm kind of more into watching some of these league pass teams actually because we see all the other ones so much uh and we know because we only usually do the national games we never actually get a chance to do these uh so some of the teams that wouldn't be on a national game so we got grizz jazz 230 eastern on wednesday pacers suns 4 eastern thursday and then jazz spurs 1 eastern on friday so if you're uh and you can always watch those uh, again uh, on the league pass replay they're available for individual game purchase or on league pass either nba.com or the league pass and we should mention that if you're looking for it it's labeled influencer it's the influencer stream it's an initiative that the nba is doing and they're choosing i I hate being called that but you know it is what it is it's how people find it so as 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 somebody with parents that have been looking for it i feel like i need to i need to mention it at least a little bit and while we're exceedingly excited about doing the league pass games and just as a point of clarification for those of you who didn't watch that means the whole game is on the screen this is not us doing the live show where you have to sync up or anything it's it's us doing commentary with some of the game audio you know so you get some of that in there too it's I mean, technologically, I was just, I was beaming the whole time we were doing the first episode because it is really close to what we always dreamed that that this could be. And yeah. um, we, we did a more traditional NBA cast for uh, the game on Sunday, which was both a really kind of memorable game, but because it made a sense of history and because these two teams are that are that function, but also I, I think a potentially important one. I, at the moment in time when we finished the broadcast, I said that I didn't think that it made me think about the Bucks any differently. And you pushed back on that a little bit for me. And thinking about it for the hour plus that we have since we recorded, I think I agree with you. And let's get to the basics first, and then I'll explain it. So Houston ended up coming out with the victory in regulation 120-116, a 31-26 fourth quarter. And they tied their own NBA record with 61 three-point attempts in regulation. The all-time NBA record is 70, but 61 in regulation, that's what they did. Yeah, and that it was actually an upset that they didn't exceed that 61. They had 61 with like three minutes left, and then Milwaukee just couldn't stop fouling them down the end. Russell Westbrook got to the line. Uh, he was outstanding, actually. I mean, you, you wondered whether he could be effective against this Bucks defense because he doesn't really shoot outside, but he played 38 minutes, which is a lot of minutes for him. 10 to 12 from the foul line, 8 assists, 31 points, 10 to 21. He, he hit enough of those mid-range jumpers, uh, particularly in the times when Harden was off the floor. They also overcame James Harden getting four fouls in the first half for the second consecutive game. Yeah. Well, and we should mention uh, Westbrook four four clutch free throws in the final minute too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean the Bucks led it by eight and then Houston fired back with a 9-0 run down the end. We can talk a little bit more about that, but I think I, I really do want to get into just the overall themes of this game. And as you alluded to, it really seemed like the, my biggest fear for the Bucks this season was somewhat elucidated in this game for them offensively. Yeah. And we got a we got a question during the cast that I think is a good way to frame this of why is it that Mike Budenholzer is 
is such a good regular season coach, but it seems like his teams haven't done as well in the playoffs. And there's a lot of context that needs to be in there. You know, teams, whether they outperformed their 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 seeding and, you know, they did have a couple of near miss wins or near like wins that almost became losses like that one against the Wizards when he was the coach of the Hawk. But what I got into in my answer was the difference between tactics and strategy. So, so Mike Budenholzer is a phenomenal coach at strategy, about setting the overall plan, saying this is the type of team we want to be, I to an extent identifying players that fit within that, telling people what to do. Like I think the Dante DiVincenzo's success this year is a wonderful example of that. And it's not always the same thing. It can be different things at different times. I think he's adapted pretty well. However Yeah, absolutely. I mean he he had the he's the exact opposite pick and roll scheme in Milwaukee as he had in Atlanta because he has different personnel. Yeah, he has different personnel, and the league is different also uh, than than compared to how it was then. Then tactics are more adjusting how you apply that strategy situation on the ground and i thought that this game was both in the first half and in the second half in different respects a great example of this of the tactical limitations so in the first half the one that drove both of us crazy was houston is this aggressive switching defense and they play you know the six sevens or less lineup so much and they don't really have they really only have one capable post defender on the entire roster and in the first half they kept on posting up brooke lopez on pj tucker the only capable post-up defender on this entire roster. He's so strong, Brook Lopez couldn't really move him very well. And that was infuriating because it's like, okay, even if that's what you want to do, Houston's a low, generally a pretty low resistance switching team, especially in some of those off-ball circumstances. And so that was one. And then the second half, I thought it was more defensive, that they were so rigidly attached to their scheme, which was they were making sure that they had enough defenders at the rim, even when James Harden wasn't on the floor. And so that's a big part of why Houston tied the record for most threes in a regulation game. Yeah, let's talk about the Bucks offense first. Uh, you mentioned that they don't necessarily go after the switching that well. I think just in general, in the half court, uh, they can be limited. And Giannis is not a traditional pick and roll player. He really only has one place on this floor that he can score efficiently. And to the extent that you can take that away, even to some degree in the half court, the Bucks don't really have a plan B. Now, Eric Bledsoe didn't play. I don't think he's more of a defensive loss than an offensive loss. Um, you know, Chris Middleton was on fire fire in the beginning i think they really went away from him for some reason and that's they should try to maybe get back to him to some degree later in these games but there really just isn't and especially against houston you know they're switching everything too and the bucks don't have that top end guy who can get you a great shot at the end of the clock or at the end of the game and their their clutch offense really struggled in this one as well and it was it's just I think their beat their defense is really really good you know they have some limitations we'll talk about that in a second but they just I think the good defenses and, and you know we'll see where Houston is really once they settle in here they struggled against Dallas then the, had a really nice fourth quarter and they looked pretty good in the half court in this game against the Bucks. but Milwaukee just had too many possessions where it was you know Dante DiVincenzo trying to shake and bake late in the clock and, and that's not really going to work that well and Giannis still for all of his brilliance I mean and just you know you look look at it he's played 30 minutes and he has 34 points every game it seems like but for all of his brilliance the ability to really orchestrate in the half court when the game slows down it is a weakness of this team and that was their undoing against Toronto last year and I and then probably the one guy who is most equipped to help with that Malcolm Brogdon isn't on the team anymore so that is a concern for the Bucks. I mean they are still my championship favorite they have a lot of things going for them but I fear that if they have an undoing it will be that there was a point earlier in the game where using cleaning the glass the Bucks and Rockets were pretty close in half-court efficiency. It was just that the Rockets were getting a lot more in transition. That ended up shifting by the end of the game. At, at the close, Houston was getting 1.05 points per possession in the half-court. Milwaukee, 0.85. So that's, you know, an offensive rating difference of about 20 points per 100 possessions. And... A lot of the credit there goes to Houston. I thought that Houston, after the first like five minutes, which was kind of like the first three quarters of the Dallas game where they were giving up way too much at the point of attack and then they just don't have enough protection at the rim. And so they were getting eviscerated and kind of looked like it might be one of those quick NBA casts that we do every once in a while. But then they, they stiffened up pretty quickly and they, they need definitely needed to, to stay alive in this game. And for Milwaukee, I think there are a couple different factors that are important. You brought up Brogdon. I think that they don't have a lot of guys who, uh, who have real dynamic 
dynamism with the ball in their hands. Like they have a lot of guys that are functional pieces and like Chris Middleton, wonderful basketball player, basketball player, deserving all-star, fringe all-NBA guy. That's just not what he does well. He sh- he could shoot over a good defense. He had 27 points on on 20 shooting possessions in this game. Could argue he should have had more shooting possessions in this game. Um and Brook Lopez is a wonderful player, Matthews, DiVincenzo. They they just don't really have that. And George Hill as successful as he is, he doesn't do that with the ball in his hands either. That's part of why he was miscast in Sacramento and why I was hopeful in Cleveland, which didn't end up working out. And that means that when they get in the half court, it can sometimes it can sometimes stagnate, especially when Giannis isn't on the floor, but even when sometimes when he is. And I thought you you brought up DiVincenzo and Oof, did he struggle tonight? It, exactly. Like there he had some moments to be sure. And he battled but got got a rebound and you know had a couple steals. But he when when tasked with creating offense not not in an advantage situation, not, you know, attacking a closeout or anything like that. He really struggled. He had five turnovers, missed a couple of shots, had a cu- he did make one like over Austin Rivers, but again, it wasn't a great shot. It just happened to go in. And it it was a reminder. I, I like DiVincenzo. I think that he has a really good place on this team. I'm, I'm encouraged by his development this season. But again, he's not that guy either. And it Milwaukee, they're, they're a dominant regular season team. I don't, you know, like all that stuff is still true, but there are reasons why even if, structurally the Bucks are they're an amazing team and they have these advantages going into the Eastern Conference playoffs because the West has the Lakers and the and the Clippers and arguably the Rockets and the and the Raptors might not be at that level I'm still going to be hesitant my and no team is perfect but these flaws are especially concerning because they rear their heads against really good defensive teams and guess what this has been a theme for you and I when we were going through the bubble earlier all of the best teams right now are at least capable defensively yeah and the Bucks are the most capable of those teams teams and who knows they could still win a championship just on the strength of their defense but if you're going to get into one of these defensive slug matches it might be and this you know there's some fast breaks in this one like the offensive ratings weren't that bad in the end uh but if you're going to get into one of these slug matches and it's close down the end you know i don't think the bucks have the advantage in close games for some of the factors that uh, we talked well, about and, and before um, we before we move to milwaukee's defense uh, one other important part of the story of this game was more true in the first half than the overall game was the possession battle so in the early part houston took 10 in the first half houston had 10 more field goal attempts and more free throw attempts because of the turnovers eventually that tilted but in an unusual in a kind of different way milwaukee had 22 turnovers compared to nine for the rockets but eventually they got a bunch of offensive rebounds it was 17 to 6 so the overall shot totals weren't as ridiculous it was actually about even in field goal attempts and houston had eight more free throw attempts but houston did have let's note an extra 10 points from the free throw line because they made more of it yeah and that's that was really something that you could say is an aberration those those crazy number of bucks turnovers you can also say that they had 25 percent three-point shooting although they, again they didn't take that many threes you know they, they weren't getting a ton of drive and kick looks i thought houston's defense in the half court looked much better than it did in the first three quarters against dallas but dallas has so much more shooting than this bucks team does where the bucks other than middleton and maybe corver you know hill even hill is a great three-point shooter but he just doesn't have the quick release or the height like it takes a while to get it off but I mean a lot of things went wrong for the Bucks in this game you can certainly point to all those as why it's an aberration and the math usually works out for them etc etc and I can't wait to talk about their defense but first something I even want to talk about more than that and that is sports business classroom what do you do in August 10th through 14th of of this year it's coming up here starts in a week but because the conference is virtual this year you can absolutely register right up uh, until that time it's going to take place virtually this year obviously we are really sad that we can't all get together in person due to COVID-19 but this also is a chance if you don't have a week to go to vegas it's at a much lower price point this year as well so i highly recommend checking out sportsbusinessclassroom.com i will be doing some lecturing there larry coon the cap father as i call him he's been on the show wes wilcox has been on the show talking about sports business classroom dave dufour who actually was once my student there in the first year back in 2016 he now works for the athletic he's been integral in putting it together you know of course uh liam doyle used to be our director of insight and foresight here at dunktown he's now has moved on to the miami heat ben dull who's our director of basketball research met him at the original sbc as well so it's just a, a fantastic chance to get hands-on it's gonna be a ton of fun you're gonna meet awesome people who are really into sports and really serious about sports uh, both the, your classmates and the instructors 
So just go to that sportsbusinessclassroom.com site, check it out. And if you do register, I'll let them know that you came from us. So it really was something that we knew would be a fascinating strategic battle coming in. We talked about already the Bucks against this small switching Houston defense. But what I was even more curious to see was what would happen when Houston had the ball. And we know that the Bucks are the best rim protecting team basically in NBA history. Not only do they have amazing rim protectors, but they also sell out like crazy to protect the rim and before what their strategy was we're going to basically play almost behind James Harden so he can't get that step back we're going to make him drive and we're going to make him drive it into our huge length and they've got Clint Capella there and if he passes it to Capella well that length is going to block Capella's shot too you know but now Capella is no longer on this team and PJ Tucker is the center and he usually hangs out directly in the corner and so we thought okay what is going to happen here when these guys drive are they going to rotate to Tucker in the corner are they going to actually respect him in the corner or are they going to stick with their usual defense and not only Danny did they stick with their usual defense I thought it was even more extreme than normal I agree and um I mean it was it was wild that the Bucks quote-unquote won points in the paint 60 to 20 in this game but when you when it's 60 when it's 60 to 20 and the other team shoots 26 corner threes most of which were wide open it becomes a little bit of a different calculation and I'm I brought this up earlier but I think it's it's worth hammering down on I was frustrated by how mechanical and rigid the Bucks were with like for example yeah. with with Brooke Lopez so Brooke Lopez was digging that was basically standing right around the basket and honestly right around the basket not even like coming over from the side right around the basket even when it was Russell Westbrook driving on Giannis Giannis both of our pick for defensive player of the year I think he will actually win the award wonderful wonderful rib protector way bigger than Russell Westbrook and so then you just gave them an easy out they James Harden knew that if he made a certain move there would be a guy wide open in the corner and the Rockets Basically, yeah. this was they're, kind of to be clear was, quickly. Yeah. They are helping off the strong side corner. Yes, a lot of times, which you basically never do in the NBA. And so all you have to do basically is, if you're say you're, say you're on the left wing and you got a shooter in the left corner, all you got to do is drive to your left. The guy guarding the shooter in the left corner is usually Brook Lopez. He would just go stand in front of the drive, and then you just throw it to the guy right in front of you, and you got a wide open corner three. That's all. That's all they had to do, especially especially in that third quarter when they were six of ten they took ten corner threes in one quarter yeah. half of their shots in the quarter were corner threes wide open every single time now i'm not going to totally condemn this strategy we'll talk about that but it was i've never seen anything like it at the nba level ever i've never seen anything like it and i was shocked at how much they did it you know yeah james harden russell westbrook are on the floor it's a lot of ball it's a lot of shot creation russell westbrook can get to the rim harden is dangerous in in every way sure but when harden went to the bench that might have related to his fifth foul i think it was just also when he went to the bench they kept doing it. And it's like, you're one of the best yeah. defensive teams in the league. You can not concede a corner three and just not concede anything and you would do a good job. And they kept on doing it. And the and the, yeah, Houston's not necessarily going to make all of it. And the, the crazy part about that is we're talking about Milwaukee's third quarter defense, a quarter where they outscored the where they outscored the Rockets 36 to 27. But it could have been it could have been stronger. And if they had, had built up a little bit larger of a lead, Houston probably can't come back. Yeah. And I mean, it's well, and so you hit do hit on the the point right like their best quarter of this game as milwaukee was this quarter that was so insane although they did keep it up as well in the in the fourth quarter yeah you know tucker was 0 for 3 or i'm sorry 0 for 6 on threes in the first half like we knew he was gonna have to make him he didn't then but he, he's a 40 percent corner three-point shooter like he's gonna start making those eventually and he did in that third he hit two jeff green who also was their center hit three in that quarter uh from the corner and yeah i agree with you i mean is this lineup with russell westbrook jeff green and pj tucker all out there at the same time or you know austin rivers out there is that like oh man like we just the only way we can stop these guys from getting the passes we gotta like help off the strong side corner like no it really doesn't that doesn't seem to be the case for me like i would much rather just switch if you're gonna do that or i mean they had huge guys on russell westbrook like make him finish over your length he's gonna miss a layup a, a lot of times go sailing into the crowd if there were one and now you can get a fast break going the other way when he's behind the play so i, I mean now the argument is 
hey, the math always works out for the Bucks. But does it work out against the Rockets? Does it work out when you're giving up 26 corner three-point attempts in a game? You know, at least make them shoot above the break. So it was, and also not only that, it's like just changing up your strategy and up because the Rockets, to their credit, like Harden and Westbrook totally figured it out, right? They just knew, all right, all I got to do is dribble to this point. Lopez is going to help. I'll just throw it to the guy in the corner. We get a wide open corner three every single time. Like you got, you can't just like let someone like set up the pins and knock them down like that. I think now again, I've I've been critical here. We had a similar thought when we first saw this Buck system get unveiled last year early on against Boston. What are they doing? All you got to do is drive to the nail. You throw it to the opposite wing. You get a three. Boston beat them that night. But then over the course of the year, the math really turned out to be way in their favor. And you know it could have again tonight if they hadn't just turned the ball over and given up a crap load in transition all all the time. But nonetheless, I still think you can do better. And it does. It I mean you know th- these games don't mean anything for them. Maybe they're just trying it out. See what happens. Yeah, and it's also true, like, they ran a different strategy with James Hart defending James Harden, including Wes Matthews, yeah. who got in a bunch of foul trouble, most of which were legitimate calls, but Eric Bledsoe wasn't there, and that, that made a big difference. He he is often draws that assignment. Fair to note that Eric Gordon also wasn't there, but he's not Eric Bledsoe in terms of importance to his respective team. And yeah, a lot of things didn't go well for Milwaukee that if you, if you equalized it, you know, if the turnovers... And remember, Milwaukee also generally doesn't foul that much, and they gave up 31 free throws to the Houston Rockets. And not much of that was like intentionally fouling to slow down the game and all that. It was it was during the course of action. A couple of yeah, bad and they three had shot two fouls. bad fouls. Yeah, at the end, the two bad fouls that gave him, like Westbrook getting the line twice in the last minute or so. Giannis got him in the arm on the on that jump shot that we never saw a replay of. I don't know if that was actually a foul or not, but it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should talk generally also about the Bucks' offensive rebounding. So they did kind of make up for their crazy number of turnovers, twenty two turnovers with seventeen offensive rebounds. It was thirty six percent offensive rebounds and Brooke Lopez uh, was awesome there with six offensive boards Marvin Williams had four so they did make up for it with their size a little bit I don't know I, I was uh it was a fascinating guy yeah, I still have a few more notes did you, did you have anything else you wanted to say other than their, their fouling which they usually don't do no that's that's well I mean they played DJ Wilson that was a little bit of a surprise Robin Lopez yeah only to played guard four. Westbrook yeah and I thought he did fine you know the, it, it was it was okay when they, when they went in those minutes and um there were some so one of the other weird things was Milwaukee going really big but not in a way that necessarily helped them on either end of the floor they were playing sometimes Marvin Williams at the three and at one point Giannis at the three they were playing DJ Wilson and Brooke Lopez together with Giannis and yes they're more limited on the perimeter with Eric Bledsoe out but it was just from a process standpoint it was just kind of surreal I did think that the the Bucks did make some adjustments in the second half particularly going to Brooke Lopez really mashing in the post you express yes. your frustration about going after PJ Tucker but when they went after anyone else in the post Brooke Lopez uh did really well he had 23 points and actually only two of his 18 field goal attempts were uh three-pointers um Harden those four fouls in the first half three of them were just completely asinine fouls one was he's on a fast break one-on-one against George Hill and he decides that he's going to try to draw the foul first like and he shoves him off and then to compound that also tried to grab Hill's arm after shoving him off to make it look like Hill had grabbed him and they correctly called an offensive foul which is a great call that D'Antoni challenged it and lost it's like you know james you're a superstar you got a 6-2 guard back how about you just like try to go in for a layup like don't worry about drawing the foul okay like it's one thing to draw the foul when like you know you're getting a three shot foul or you're like not in position like just concentrate on making the layup man and there's another couple of plays where you just like shoved someone for no reason like it, it was three of those four fouls were just really well and like re- reaches him. i mean divincenzo had one of these on harden too reaches where he didn't really have much of a chance on it well you know harden gets a lot of steals he had six in this game but there are some where it's lower probability than other spots um robert covington we talked about this during the cast and seth partno said during their last game that it's interesting that covington might be their tallest defender but he's also their worst defender in the post and he really struggled just with his lack of strength in this game he also doesn't even really have that quick of feet laterally I mean he's a great help defender but I mean we saw going back to 2018 when he couldn't guard Jason Tatum for Philly that he struggles one-on-one and so I think if you're playing Houston really going at Covington number one he's their easiest defender to go at I would say maybe even more so than Harden in some respects if you have a guy who's got some strength and then number two by going at him he's their best help defender so they're also losing their best help defender at the same time they're more likely to get Get beat off the dribble so i think going after him is something that teams should really try particularly if they match up with the clippers or lakers lebron or Kawhi could really have a field day uh, i think at covington expense yeah 
I mean, it, it is a little bit weird to spend almost half an hour talking about this game, but I thought it was it was fascinating. It was one that we focused on a lot because of the live show and potentially significant for not only this, but we'll, we'll talk at the end of this podcast. I'll lay out some of the seating dynamics and everything like that. And this was, this weekend was massive for the Rockets, not so for the Bucks, but massive for the Rockets in the overall shape of the Western Conference race, just a couple of games in for every team. Okay, let's go to last night's action, Philly and Indiana. Oh boy. And it seems that, you know, I mean, let's keep in mind first, DeMontis Sabonis isn't even in the bubble. He seems unlikely to return in time for the playoffs with that plantar fasciitis. Malcolm Brogdon was a scratch with neck soreness. He's questionable for Monday. But so your starters for Indiana are Aaron Holiday, Victor Oladipo, Justin Holiday, TJ Warren, and Miles Turner. And TJ Warren just completely eviscerated Philly. He eviscerated Ben Simmons in this game when guarded by Ben Simmons per NBA.com matchup data. TJ Warren was nine of ten from the field, five of five from three, and scored twenty four points. Wow! And they put putting Batiste Seibel on him too. He had no answers uh, as well. Um, But I think where I want to start, even more so than Warren, as far as like takeaways to go back to, was just how bad Philly was at the beginning of this game. I mean, I loathe the trope because it's just like such reductive, boring analysis when they say, oh, well, they came out, they weren't ready to play. You know, that's the cliche you always hear. I had no choice but to repeat that trope because Philly was not ready to play. In the first quarter, I counted 10 just like absolute boneheaded mistakes where either just giving up a backdoor cut, they turned it over twice in the backcourt to TJ McConnell. Yeah. And then their, a third time and then a teammate. third time later in the game in a huge moment. Yeah. It was and ridiculous offensive fouls. There's a play where they throw it to Joel Embiid trying to on the wing and he just like lets the ball go throughout his hands out of bounds. It was just the first quarter what and they actually I mean they started off really well. I think they're up ten to two right at the beginning. And it was just a disaster in that first quarter. And it this was did not assuage any of the questions that you have about Philly. I'll put it that way. Here's how I would phrase it. It took a lot of things going wrong to supersede the things that went right for Philly. And it absolutely happened in this one. I mean, they had eight turnovers in the first quarter, 21 total. So it was a 21 to 10 turnover margin. They also, they fouled a ton. And they and also, like, I mean, you could even go to one of the later plays in the game when Ben Simmons helps off of TJ Warren to, I, I think, I can't remember who it was on the nail. It's like the yeah, only guy. Holiday. On, yeah, Holiday. The only guy on their team who was doing anything offensively in that game with regularity was TJ Warren. And you help off him, give him a wide open in rhythm three that basically puts a dagger in the game. And let's let's talk a little bit more about TJ Warren's about his performance, put some numbers on it. Oh yeah. 53 points on 20 of 29 from the field, only four free throw times. Remember, part of what you and I love about TJ Warren in his early days was that he could get to the line a lot, that he was so efficient from two. He was very efficient from two in this game. Well, I would say more the basket. I don't know that he's ever been a huge free throw guy. It's more just his touch around the rim. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But That's what I I was more enamored of that. I don't know that he's ever been a guy who draws a ton of contact. Warren, five for seven in the restricted area, two for four floater, four for six mid-range, nine of 12 on three, all above the break. Break. And another thing that Indiana had to overcome in this game, largely with the help of TJ Warren, was Joella Bede putting Miles Turner in a box and putting him in foul trouble for this entire game. And remember, usually you'd say, okay, Indiana, you know, Miles Turner in foul trouble. They have Sabonis, they have Patatze if they have to, they can go in that. Nope, no, no Sabonis, no, but no Batatze in this game. So the backup center that they were go- that Indiana was going with for most of this one was Jakar Sampson, former process sixer of all things. Yeah, and Sampson played while well. he was plus twenty. I mean, the the disparity was uh, was interesting here. I mean, this is another one of those classic Embiid games: forty one points, fifteen to twenty three from the field, ten to twelve from the line, nine offensive rebounds. As the Sixers had forty six percent off offensive rebounds in this game still lost (laughs) well not Uh, only that he was plus 21 in a game his team lost by six and he played 34 of 48 minutes it was very much like the 2019 second round against the Raptors. Well, yeah, and Al Horford, 23 minutes, negative 26. We saw a little of he and Embiid together, but not much. Uh, I, I guess we would, it was about 11 minutes or so. But uh, all that said, 
I mean, back to Warren, Nate McMillan is an old school NBA coach. And one of the things that I kind of like about that, and I think you like about it too, is back in the day when it, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, when that's kind of where McMillan first became a coach, that he did a lot of this stuff with Portland in his first stop. Back in the day, teams would just run the same play over and over again until you stopped it. And I think Indiana is still running the same play of <laughs> TJ Warren in the left corner coming off either a single or a double wide pin down i mean i think the polish on the floor between the left corner and the top of the key as warren sprinted around the arc might just be like completely worn off they don't have to refinish the floor in that area because they ran that play so many times and philly first started off like okay we're gonna top lock it right you remember that that's like so you can't run out to the top of this the top of the key we're actually gonna be on top of you so you can't run there and so the pacers ate that up the warren is a great cutter he went back door a few times a really nice finisher i think they beat him three times on that so okay now we got to just have ben simmons lock and trail well all right he's coming off of two screens tj warren either curls up for a, a three at the top of the key or curls right in the lane hits that beautiful mid-range foul line jump shot at which he was on fire for as well uh and then when he really got hot he started he hit a few threes off the pick and roll off the dribble uh, on simmons as well who again i think simmons uh doesn't have the most amazing length like if you have if he's guarding a tough shot maker especially a guy who has a little more size then he is just not that great at contesting that you know i think this is a lot of people have been really talking up Ben simmons talking him up for all defense i think he's a very good defensive player but i i'm a little lower on him than that and this again this game was an indication of why even this he obviously played poorly in this game relative to his normal level but um i mean warren was just fantastic and i just i was reminded danny of how you and I both picked him when we did that pod on like who are the long shot next stars just because his rate of improvement over the years yeah and because he had some of the some really nice building blocks to work from as an efficient offensive player and he had, like he did more with the ball in his hands at times in this game than I anticipated but also another reason you think of all the things that went right and went wrong for Philadelphia in this game they also got just horrendous play from their guards and Shake Milton only played 19 minutes only took one shot from the field had three turnovers and three assists Josh Richardson did decks to nothing offensively how neto was was a positive when he was on the floor because he shared it a lot with with Embiid in some of those minutes when he came off the bench but i didn't think that he was particularly dynamic offensively yeah. neto closed the game he did amazingly enough well, after after the blow up we don't know all of the details of that with shake milton and joel Embiid. it's not the biggest shock in the world that he didn't close the game but i, I mean yeah and quirk Maz was missing his shots and everything so it was like yeah you think about like i mean turner in foul trouble tj warren going crazy so it's like you kind of you at a certain point you're like well you know if all if if, if all hell doesn't break loose for philadelphia they win this game they're a better team and stuff it's like but it feels like all hell breaks loose for them a disproportionately large amount of the time yeah and and i do worry a little bit that they are giving up their identity a little bit and maybe horford just isn't any good anymore and man was he really struggling to protect the rim when he was out there just not making the help rotations i mean they were just it was a layup drill when he was out there at times as the center but you know if you're going to get this type of play from shake milton and some of these other guard then you know maybe you do go with horford and it be a little more and now the pacers are a weird weird team they're really that i said before the restart that they might be putting out like one of the worst defensive rebounding outfits that we've ever seen and yeah the first game they give up 47 percent offensive rebounds um so you know this wouldn't necessarily have been the group for horford and Embiid together necessarily so i don't know i mean maybe horford's just not good anymore i do think there's still going to be a place for that lineup at some point um few other notes on this one you know miles turner cannot guard joel Embiid. he's just not strong enough he's a little too light in the shorts and you know he got a, a bunch of his fouls were just like fighting for post position where he just wasn't strong enough i did appreciate Embiid working hard to get that deep post position and put guys in foul trouble um you know and he was unbelievably dominant in this one it wasn't his fault that they lost the game um what did you make of Victor Oladipo in his first official game back I was I was a little bit ambivalent. I mean, a lot of that was just T.J. Warren taking kind of taking over, but I didn't think Oladipo settled as much as he. Remember, we were very concerned when he returned in that February March range that he was just kind of wasn't playing within the flow of the offense. I thought that was a little bit better than this one. How about you? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, he was 6 of 14. He had a couple of times when Warren was really hot where he kind of went for his own and, you know, maybe either he started off the game with like a couple of really bad turnovers and then Warren got hot and they sort of focused more on him. But I, I thought he was still a little thirsty, you know, 15 points on 6 of 14. You know, that's not amazing. Three turnovers, two assists. You know, defensively, I think he's still pretty good. And it's just going to be interesting. Like he de- clearly does not have the same explosion at the rim. He looks a little bit better off the dribble but still not quite that same just blinding quickness that we saw now i think you got to be concerned i mean he's a year and a half removed from that injury now and also for him to have questions about whether he comes i'm glad that he played he's not going to play in back-to-backs apparently so he's doubtful for tomorrow so i don't know and then once brogdon comes back we'll see whether warren you know i don't think warren's going to play like this every game obviously but how much is he going to get featured um how much is brogdon going to get featured in pick and roll so i'm very i, I do think that oladipo should not be their primary score like he just doesn't have that level of juice right now i i don't think um one other quick dynamic that i think yeah. is interesting with the pacer schedule is they have three very winnable games immediately following this they have washington orlando which is a back-to-back and then phoenix but then their last four are tough lakers heat rockets heat again we don't know what miami's going to be playing for at that point but Philadelphia, so so like it could be that the Pacers like go out to a lead and then we're just kind of seeing if they can hold on, which does kind of feel appropriate with all of this. But yeah, I mean, they're them winning this game makes Indiana getting the five seed significantly more plausible. I'll tell you else who's really impressed me is Justin Holiday. Yes. He is, I mean, he doesn't look that much different, but he has functionally gotten a lot stronger. He's one of the hardest guys to screen. And he actually guarded Ben Simmons, I thought, reasonably well, despite a massive disadvantage in terms of size, basically playing the four defensively. Um, yet another guy. I, I mean, I thought Justin Holiday was okay, but I didn't think he was anything special. I was surprised that he actually got as much as he did, the room exception this year. And it was like, oh, nice story. He's going to play with his brother. And he's yet another guy who's gotten way better defensively with the Pacers and he'll be an interesting free agent this offseason absolutely there were a lot of other really exciting games that I think due to due to our focus on some stuff both for the league pass show and everything else that that we can't talk about as in-depth as we have these two games but I mean we want to give everything some attention and so one of those was Boston going up huge on Portland then losing the lead but still coming out with the win 128 to 124 and I like the way that Kevin Pelton talked about this game as it was happening so he was in the early part of it it was you know like you and I when we do like especially when we do the live show we talk about how in the early part of a game it's more about the shots that you're getting rather than whether they go in or not and Boston was doing incredible shot making basically they were outperforming their shot expectancy and the expectation there is that you will eventually that you'll regress to the mean and maybe the other team will progress if they're under it and a lot of that is what happened Damian Lillard went completely crazy in the later stretch of this game he ended up with 30 points on 8 of 20 from the field 5 14 from 3 and Nurkic had another really good game I would say overall uh, at least offensively and and so Boston comes away. They come away with a a win that I, I that they're they're definitely happy about. But it is definitely different than the one they anticipated at halftime. Yeah, Portland was shot nineteen of forty two from three and lost. Mm-hmm. Gary Trent Jr. twenty one points, seven of eleven, and then Nurkic had thirty. It was a one twenty eight one twenty four Boston win in the end. Um, and I thought it was just it's great to see Yusuf Nurkic has had two really good games. He looks back just as good as ever. That is fantastic and also very good for portland's long-term chances as they try to work back into being a, a contender this is a bad loss for them though and the, they had a chance to make it interesting but you know when your opponent goes 18 of 30 from downtown it's going to make things a little difficult that was interesting too i mean jason tatum played 40 minutes in this game 34 points he bounced back from that miserable two of 18 in the opener against the bucks uh, jalen brown was fantastic he had 16 in the fourth quarter on his way to a 30 point night gordon hayward has been when he has good nights it's just incredibly efficient 22 points on 10 field goal attempts for him uh so definitely boston had it working this is not a good matchup for the blazers boston causes matchup problems they have some as well against some teams if they don't have enough size at the four but against a team like portland where there's playing zach collins carmelo anthony you know those are your 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 three and your four they just don't have enough guys to guard all of these really good celtics wings 
Um, and, and sometimes Carmelo Anthony is there, and he's not even guarding the wings. Like on that play where he yes. helped without helping to give Jalen Brown a wide-open three that basically ended the game. Yeah, yeah, that that was a bad play. Helping off the strong side corner, which uh, I can tell you that he is not playing the Brook Lopez help off the strong side corner defense from the Bucs. I, <laughs> I feel pretty confident of that. Uh, Kemba Walker, they're slowly increasing his minutes. He went up to 22. He did not play at the end of the game. They won anyway, but he had 14 points in 22 minutes. And there's just the Blazers just didn't have the horses to guard the Celtics in this game meanwhile and the Blazers are pushing hard early here I think that's their thought is that hey we're going to push hard early and if we lose we'll shut people down but Dame Lillard 44 minutes as you mentioned he was really on fire in the second half uh McCollum had 41 minutes that 16 assists for Lillard that's got to be if not a career high very close to it I would imagine in fact I would bet that it probably is a career high having not seen it um and we mentioned Trent I thought that for stats this will be something to watch here you know Carmelo is the proud veteran and he uh had a mellow-like game in this one with 13 points on 5 of 14. He did hit one long two when he came back in, but shot 2 of 8 from 2 overall. I think their best lineup is probably, especially if Gary Trent Jr. is going to shoot like this, is probably Trent Jr. at the 3, Zach Collins at the 4, and Nurkic at the 5. I would agree. And, you know, they brought Carmelo back in. They took Collins out because Trent was hot, but, you know, Melo is not equipped to guard some of these guys. And as you mentioned, he made the key defensive mistake to give up the 3 that ended up losing the Yeah, and, and, and Melo made two huge shots in their win over the Grizzlies. So it's, you know, it, and it is, it is kind of some each direction. And it is also weird to see the Blazers get 48 quality minutes at center because Hassan Whiteside I thought he did well as a second unit guy in this one yeah he was plus nine and this was also memorable because first Boston is up three they're getting pressed they commit a backcourt violation everybody including the people on the broadcast are like oh yeah that's not a backcourt violation but as Mark Davis explained afterwards it is in fact a backcourt violation because the ball had crossed into the front court from the from the backcourt the pass goes from the backcourt to the the front court Gordon Hayward had not established himself in the front court when he caught the passes he was running from backcourt to front court and so because the ball was in the front court that's what determines whether it's front court or not and then Hayward brought it back into the backcourt by catching it before he had established his position so just a interesting to note there that uh people had the backcourt basketball wrong mark very hard yeah. to officiate my, <laughs> my guy Mark Davis had the explanation on that and then of course Brad Stevens went to this 2-3 zone that he does for no threes they didn't foul uh, but they basically it's a 2-3 zone but they put everyone outside of the arc and so Nurkic rolled to the rim after setting a screen and Dame Lillard just like saw him open and just threw it to him wide open on the rim I guess it was just the instinct of it uh Terry Stotts charitably said oh you know that was the play he decided to make or something it was so, a re- so, yeah, I think know, he called it a reaction play which is which is true yeah. um but yeah and I, well, I, good I, job by Stevens inducing that reaction in that case. Well, ex- exactly and the other the thing that I like the most about Stevens going to basically a five out defense in that circumstance Portland had no timeouts left. And you're so the idea of giving up two points is also different than giving up fouling because like sometimes you foul inside the arc there because if you foul inside the arc you are theoretically giving the team another chance to tie the game because they could they could make the first free throw miss the second and do a tip in or something like that if all you do is concede the two as long as you get the ball in which boston did you're fine you're golden and i thought that was a particularly notable part about it from steven's perspective is that it's it's very hard to lose and um, it might even be harder to lose that way than fouling in the circumstance like Rick Carlisle and the Mavericks did at in the Houston game. Uh, unless you have something else on this, I, I think we should move to, again, sadly, we can't discuss it in full length, the, the Raptors' impressive win over the Lakers. Yeah, it was Toronto's win over LA earlier this year in LA that really kind of announced that they were going to be for real uh, again this year. And it seems like they're a pretty good matchup against the Lakers. The Lakers really struggled to score in this loss. Yeah, I mean, they put up under a 90 offensive rating. The Raptors' defense was spectacular, really top to bottom. I liked the job that Kyle Lowry did. OG and Anobi, our favorite isolation defender, did well. The, the interior rim protection from Marcus Gasol and from Pascal Siakam and, and Serge Ibaka when he played came off the bench. It, it was, it was a, a beautiful performance top to bottom from Toronto. Now, I still have my skepticism about their offense, and I think that especially when you get the feedback loops of this great a defense, it, it makes things look better. But the gear that they can get to defensively, and, the, and they, they, can, they can beat damn near anybody. That's for, that's for sure. I just, I, 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 and this game was a reminder that they can do that, and they'll, they'll get games off everybody. They're going to be a brutal 
out in the playoffs for whoever tries. But and so like I mean I want to give them full credit. All no full stop. Yeah, absolutely. They really, I mean, and Anobi with those 23 points as well. Now, some Toronto people were calling him the LeBron stopper. And yes, I did think in his rookie year, he did a very good job on LeBron in that series. And they were always trying to screen to get him off him. But LeBron also did hit that like game winner in that game three in, in 2018 against him. So I, I wouldn't call him the LeBron stopper just yet when he had like a dagger moment against Ananobi. So let's not go quite that far. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Lakers offense has not been amazing. 89 offensive rating in this game 45 percent from two I, I part of the problem is just they couldn't hit anything in particular danny green was oh for six on threes in 20 minutes and i think it was eric Carino who pointed out that he always seems to play poorly against whatever his x team is so you know if they hit a few more threes maybe they look uh, things look a little bit different for them but this is a great great defensive team and they make a lot of threes and they got up 34 threes in this and they hit 41 percent lakers hit 25 percent that was a, a big part of it um quiet night from anthony davis too yeah oh that was yeah that was the other thing i want to talk about thanks for reminding me and slater wrote about this but uh only seven shots and they were just straight up double teaming him every single time he got the ball and so it was i mean i can't remember the last time anthony davis had that small of a role in a game where he was actually healthy and so they'll have to find a, a way about that. i mean when ad and lebron combined for only 22 shot attempts in 70 minutes it's clear that the raptors strategy was we're going to barricade the rim they do that as good as anyone except the bucks and we're going to make the other guys beat us and 43 point attempts is a lot more for the lakers than they would normally take but they did not hit them yeah i mean not only the zero for six from danny green markeith morris missed all five of his Deion waiters two for six you know a lot, a lot of rough shooting nights from players that can be better but we're not in this one yeah at least kyle kuzma continued to hit yeah his three-pointers let's turn to memphis and san antonio another heartbreaking loss for the grizz if they had won these first two games both of which were very winnable they could easily be looking pretty decent for actually winning the AC outright and not having to go into the play-in but this one was a, a massive struggle and I think that my number one takeaway on this was in addition to the Spurs guards continuing to look good as we talked about on Friday night that we're seeing like the bad Dylan Brooks so far here oh are, are we including in that the horrendous defensive foul that basically ended the game for the Grizzlies oof yeah, it was terrible. I mean, he was guarding DeMar DeRozan. There's 1.5 seconds left. DeRozan goes to the pump fake. From like, what, 20 air. feet? Yeah. If I mean, he basically, you know, it was DeRozan. He had his heels on the three-point line. And DeRozan, part of why that worked was DeRozan, after having only six points throughout most of the game, he actually heated up. I think he had six points in the last few minutes before that, including a couple of tough mid-rangers. But man, I mean, it was just, it was atrocious. And Brooks, 16 points, seven of 20 one of seven from three he also had a play and i knew it was going to happen too i think they were down three they had had a nice comeback to get back into it under two minutes to go and there was a fight for a rebound after the a spurs miss and john morant jumped in there and just tipped it away to his teammate who happened to be brooke and as soon as brooks got it he started dribbling up court and i was like oh no this isn't going to be good because morant was dominating and uh, at the end of games and or the end of this game and Brooks just like went headlong and of course he just dribbled into three guys and charged into him so it's he, he's had a, a lot of license on this team because they just haven't had any other creators but it's just someone's got to have the talk to him that all right you got your money you shoot 42 percent on twos like you got to get that up you need to chill out a little bit and he also fouls maybe more than any wing and of course he was jumpy again well, there. he's Andy just, just got to the, play with more discipline and he only got to the line once in this game so it's like you, you didn't yeah. have any efficiency thing to fall back on and beyond mentioning with sheer awe the shot that jaron jackson pulled off to tie this game where rudy, oh, Ga yeah. rudy gay was in his jersey and jaron jackson just quick flipped it in the corner yeah in the corner i mean he basically came from like it was in the right corner he almost came from out of bounds on the baseline steps in going to his left and just flips up i mean jackson you mentioned that he had those 15 three-point attempts the other night he only had five tonight but he did another good game um but my my big yeah. frustration with the grizzlies and and we watched this game closely because we're doing Spurs, we're doing Spurs Sixers on Monday, which at one point was going to be the only league pass game we're going to do this week instead of being one of four. And I was just growing residually frustrated with Memphis's defensive rebounding. 
And remember, this isn't big, boring San Antonio where they're playing Marcus Aldridge and Jakob Pertl and Trey Lyles and, and all the other bigs that they have. Their power forwards in this game were basically two guys, DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay. And yet they grabbed 12 offensive rebounds and Memphis, who plays two bigs a lot, and you know they have Clark, Jackson, and Valanciunas that normally occupy those spots, they only grabbed three. And it's, it's some of that is this concern that, that I have about the Clark-Jackson combination. Some of it is just that you, San Antonio, by virtue of playing so small, that does give license to smaller guys to come in because somebody has to. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll see that sometimes. You know, when the Warriors would go super small, a lot of times they actually would like get a lot of offensive rebounds with the other team going small and they weren't used to having to rebound out of that situation. Um, you know, I think Brandon Clark was four of nine. It's, a, it's been a long time since he's shot below 50% that I can remember, but he was 0 for 3 on threes and all of them were pretty ugly. So a couple of wide open misses from the corner in the fourth. And yeah, he was shooting 40%, but it, I'm not buying him as a 40% three-point shooter. This was a an indicator there. Grayson Allen closed this game uh, over DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson. He at least gives them some shooting. I thought he played well yeah. and showed good effort. I mean, they just, he's their only shooting guard who can shoot. And so they, they really need something from him during this. Morant kind of does what he often does where he kind of takes it easy and then really eases into the game and really takes over at the end and he finished with 25 9 and 9 in this game 10 of 18 from the field had a couple of turnovers in the fourth that, that were ugly the spurs though i thought were this uh kevin pelton asked me uh, when we were just talking about you know should we think about whether the spurs should have been playing Derek white and dejounte murray together the whole time and, and i said maybe but also let's keep in mind that those guys are probably much better players now than they were at the start of the year particularly white shooting and murray was coming off the torn acl but murray was really good uh, had two steals uh, including one for a, a pick six that was huge in the fourth and we also would be remiss in not mentioning this Jakob perta line plus 25 21 minutes six points six fouls three offensive rebounds <laughs> that was amazing um yeah he had had a couple of had a couple of um, putbacks of memory serves and 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 deterred some shots at the rim too and in in that early stretch yeah. san antonio san antonio did, did well from what i recall at the very beginning of this game um patty mills played by the way we, i wondered if he was just going to be on the bench the whole time because he just had a clipboard in the first game i think they're just kind of rotating guys in and out Bryn forbes has a, a you know some like a uh, mild muscle injury uh and kelton johnson continues to play well he's uh looks more athletic than he has i think he's cut his body up since the uh, summer league last year he's been an effective driver and does okay defensively lonnie walker uh is a very good driver to his right hand and if you make him go left he can't do anything at all but it's good to see him out there in 25 minutes he you know didn't look overmatched so those three guards together really a four guard lineup for san antonio but they actually hilariously now are only two games behind the grizzlies and i think they're in ninth all by themselves so they are uh well though i will i will caution that their schedule gets significantly harder from this point including the aforementioned philly league pass game that we're doing on monday at eight eastern five pacific denver utah new orleans houston and then utah again yeah so i mean memphis could have been sitting pretty but they have struggled um so let's just let's just run through the rest of the games that happened and maybe some quick highlights of those i want to start with dallas phoenix second straight collapse for the mavericks this one i didn't watch much while we were doing the nba cast but both booker and Aiton were in foul trouble for the entire second half booker eventually fouls out and phoenix isn't generating much in offense other than some stupid fouls by dallas dallas still loses 117 115 and well, I'll get into it after we finish all this, but they're they're in a very tough spot now because of, because of these two losses, both of which they could have won. Full credit, though. I, I'm I'm ex- really excited to watch the Suns in more depth, and they I, I enjoyed even the, the just the scrappiness that they had without Booker to just kind of MacGyver it together to get the win. Yeah, and uh, Cam Johnson got to be a career high forty minutes for him. He's been starting in place of Kelly Oubre, who is with the team but has not been playing, coming off of that knee surgery. And yeah, Suns. So Suns have looked pretty good so far. I mean, they did play the Wizards in the first game, but I mean, all those three darling teams for us in the Southwest Division of New Orleans, Memphis, and Dallas, who are basically kind of looking like they're going to go 7-8-9. Well, I guess Dallas is probably going to be the 7-C now, but those teams are combined 0-6. 
and they've lost some excruciating games five of the six combined losses for them have been these just like late game collapses i mean dallas was up double digits at halftime they're up like 15 at halftime. yeah and lucas scored um, 40 yeah yeah though again i mean he's another situation he had 40 points and 11 assists but kind of wore down a, a little bit and was not able to take him home dallas only in the second half dallas only had 42 points yeah other other games from sunday orlando beat the stuffing out of sacramento ended up 132 116 it was actually much worse than that during portions of the game not yeah. gonna say that- uh, by the way the orlando magic have scored 260 points in two games yeah but unfortunately the most important news in in magic camp is that jonathan isaac went down a non-contact injury which now the team has confirmed is a torn acl in the left knee the same knee that he was that that caused him to miss everything after january 1st this is just devastating i i'm such a huge fan of isaac and and his potential defensive impact and i mean now it's it, I mean, we don't know what next season is going to look like, but a torn ACL means, depending on what it looks like, we might not see much Jonathan Isaac, if at all. Well, and Isaac had worked his way back, had this huge knee brace on his left knee, which apparently didn't help him uh, on this move, and he would have been extension eligible next year. I mean, I, I give him a lot of credit for being willing to go out there and try and help his team and get back. He very easily could have just sat out and tried to get an extension and his big money in the offseason. But yeah, I mean, it's a real bummer he it was very reminiscent of Derek Rose's injury where he, a jump stop the left knee goes down and I mean that that brace just uh wasn't enough to help him it's really really too bad that it happened but he I mean you could see it as soon as it happened I mean he just jump stopped in a very very awkward way that it was just uh, it, it wasn't good I, I really feel bad about it but and I had some hopes that if he could get back that the magic maybe not give the Tor- Toronto a series but give them some tough games in the first round and that's going to make things a little bit more difficult despite the fact that I mean the magic have in their in the six competitive quarters that they have played so far granted against the Kings and the Nets and the Kings defense was atrocious in this game uh that the magic have over 70 percent true shooting so far and they again shot extremely well from three the Kings We'll talk about them in a second, but uh, after two losses to the teams that were considered at the bottom of this bubble, they uh, do not look good to uh, continue things in the, their season beyond these eight games. Speaking of not looking um, good, the Washington yeah. Wizards, <laughs> they lost to the yeah. Brooklyn Nets 118-110. And I'll, actually, I'll jump into the, the I'll jump into the, bu- the kind of the seeding stuff here right now. The Wizards are now seven games behind the Nets with six games to play so basically they're out i mean technically speaking they're not and they won't be for about another week but they're out and that is well well, let's, let's put it this way they're three games beyond the nets even if brooklyn loses all six of their remaining games a distinct possibility by the way uh the Wiz would still have to go three and three the rest of the way for a playing game and maybe there's some chance that they could get some easy wins at the end but i mean even if other teams are playing their backups i don't think the wizards team would be favored against them frankly so yeah they only had an eight percent chance of getting into the play-in game before this but if they were gonna have any chance of doing anything these are probably their two best chances for a win against phoenix and the nets and they did not accomplish that so the wizards uh i would say that they would stop playing uh, all of their starters and let the young guys play but that's kind of already what they're doing um quickly here yesterday miami took care of denver 125 105 denver no jamal murray no gary harris no will barton murray and barton had actually played in their last scrimmage game but both did not emerge healthy from that it's hamstring tightness for murray sore knee for barton and so those unclear if those guys are going to play on monday and harris has already been ruled out so it may be that the nuggets now whatever threat they may have posed to the clippers that's probably not going to happen jazz got blown out by the thunder so the jazz aren't necessarily breathing down one, the nuggets one of the most impressive either. games for me of the whole bubble so far was that okc win yeah uh so and the heat they went with jay crowder starting rather than myers leonard hollinger and i had talked about that of like if they get into the playoffs how long is it gonna be before uh they start jay crowder or someone else and play bam at center and they immediately went to that bam did a nice job he battled Nikola Jokic to a draw Michael Porter really struggled in that game had some mental mistakes didn't shoot it well he was two of eight uh, from three that off of his uh curious comments about the coronavirus 
and Jimmy Butler on the other hand had 22 points in this game and then was absent from heat practice we don't know why supposedly he was given the day off but that seems like a retroactive spin but he's not on the injury report for tomorrow no indication that he like missed a test or anything he did attempt a protest before the game of having no name on the back of his jersey with with a symbolism that I appreciate of hey you know what like I could be a victim of police brutality just like anyone else but they, the NBA wouldn't let him wear it. And so maybe that's tied in with the protest. Maybe he missed a test. Maybe he had a false positive. Who knows? But apparently we will see him tomorrow. And this may all be water under the bridge. Briefly, OKC, I was very impressed with their win over the Jazz. Strong, really top to bottom. Some Steven Adams, I thought, played very well. Not surprising. CP3 and Shea. And Gallinari is a really tough matchup for Utah. In, the, in this configuration, he had 15 points in 19 minutes as OKC just took care business and then the the last game speaking yeah they led by 24 at halftime it was a complete blowout and then speaking of taking care of business while the clippers lost on opening night to the lakers they beat the ever-loving crap out of the new orleans pelicans 126 to 103 it was 25 of 47 three-point shooting for the Clips, who are again without Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell. And Zion Williamson did play. He was going to come back in the fourth and maybe play a little bit more had the game been close enough. It was not. They're still doing the quick burst thing. So those are two tough games for New Orleans. And I don't think they would have been projected to beat the Clippers. But nonetheless, gotta they really got to get going here pretty quickly. I mean, they still have it within their own destiny. They have an easier schedule going forward here. Not going to write them off yet completely. I don't think the Spurs can stay this hot either. You know, Portland lost today. The Kings are out of it. So nobody is running away and hiding. Memphis has lost two games, so they don't have to worry about Memphis going more than four games up on them. So they still they still control their destiny, but they played poorly these first couple of games. And not playing poorly it was Paul George. 8 of 11 from 3, although he was curiously 0 of 6 from 2. <laughs> uh, but he is, he's been on fire from downtown the first couple of games here. Um, any other news we got to get to? I think we hit all of it in line, just about. Um, the Sixers, Glenn Robinson the third didn't play against the Pacers. He's got a left hip pointer. They really missed him. And Mike Scott is a sore right knee. He didn't play either. So th- those could bump the likes of Hula Neto out of there. We haven't seen Jamal Crawford yet for the Nets. He's still working on his conditioning. And I'm also going to be live tweeting again quite a bit. One thing that Twitter has kind of changed their algorithm to where you don't see everyone's tweets. And so if you want to make sure that you see those, just go into the upper right-hand corner of your feed on Twitter.com and you can change it from top tweets to feed if you follow me and then you'll make sure you see all of those during the game as you're watching. If, in fact, you would like to see uh, me and Danny's tweet observations uh, during a game but of course you'll have plenty of chances to actually listen to us talk during these games uh, as well so that'll do it for the news but let's bring things up to date now on what the overall picture looks like here danny gets to break out his spreadsheet of all the remaining games (laughs) and stuff uh, for the first time take it away mr larue let's start with the western conference the lakers are now very close to locked into the number one seed in the west they're five and a half games up on the clippers but now by virtue of of Denver's loss, the Clippers now have a two-game lead on Denver for the for the two seed. Big bunch now from three to six. The Nuggets, Jazz, Rockets, and Thunder are all within a game and a half of each other with either six or seven games to play, including a number of them against each other. So we'll just have to wait a little bit to see how that sorts out. And that was something I got I, I wrote about for The Athletic beforehand because I thought it was so interesting that those teams were going to play each other too and likely some configuration. Is, and so we'll see where that goes. Dallas, by virtue of their two losses, are now looking overwhelmingly like they will f- stay at the seven. They are three games behind the Thunder with, the, in their case, six games to play and some tough ones remaining, including against the Clippers in a couple days. Then Memphis, the important thing there is that they've kind of played their way back into the field. They only have a two-game lead on San Antonio, and then the Blazers, Kings, Pelicans, and maybe, maybe even the Suns are close enough that whoever gets hot of that group might pass the Memphis, but more important, more importantly, they will almost definitely face a play-in game, even if Memphis if Memphis holds that. So that's really where the West is now. In a week week's time, yeah. we'll have a much clearer idea. Yeah, and we're probably looking at multiple teams being within four games of Memphis now. Yes, and, and, I mean there's still a chance that Memphis could just lose it entirely. But I yeah, mean, I mean least- there. 
their last three games, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks. We don't know how hard those teams will be trying, but that's going to be tough. Yeah, that's so interesting. All three of those teams are likely to be locked into their seeding. And I mean, the good news for Memphis is that Portland lost that game to the Boston. I think if Portland had won, then I think you're really starting to worry. And you're probably starting to worry as New Orleans too. And Portland has a very difficult schedule going forward as well. Anything else in the West or should we shift to the East? No, I think that's about it there. In the East, Milwaukee has a six game lead. They're getting the number one seed even after their loss to the Rockets. The Raptors now three and a half on the Celtics, even after the Celtics win in Boston. So Boston, as, as I said before, Raptors are getting the three Celtics have a two-game lead on Miami so they'll probably get the th- I, I would assume I mean Boston's a good team I think they'll they'll perform totally fine they also have some winnable games against Brooklyn and Washington at bare minimum um Miami is two games up on Indiana and Indiana is now one up on the Pacers so that means we'll have to see where that goes with Indiana they've only played that one in- game Indiana's one up on the Sixers sorry one up on the Sixers you meant, yes. right well yes. and moreover the Pacers got the tiebreaker with that win yes so they basically have effectively a two-game lead now on the Sixers and it's gonna be tough to, for Philly I mean they're gonna a they're gonna have to start actually playing well but the, b uh I mean it's looking like we're gonna get Sixers Celtics and Heat Pacers that's it's starting to look more that way now it is though it is worth noting that Philadelphia has the second easiest schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage of anybody left the New Orleans Pelicans have the easiest schedule left and Memphis has the hardest but they still have to actually win some of those games and, and now bust through the tiebreaker Orlando is is not going to finish better than seven. They're only a half game up on the Nets, but I mean, they're playing better than them right now. Hopefully even, I mean, we'll see after John Isaac now that he's unavailable. And then the Wizards are far enough back that they don't really matter anymore. All right, well, we would love for you to join us tomorrow for an actual real live NBA broadcast in the League Pass app eight eastern we really appreciate all of your support and hopefully this can be over this next week or so a a test for us to potentially do this next season or maybe we'll we'll have a chance to do some other stuff going forward even this season as well though league pass games obviously go away after the regular season but maybe there'll be something that we can do in league with the nba at least and uh after six hours of talking today it's probably time to call it quits and we'll be back tomorrow till then At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.